everybody. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. This is episode 98 of Fried Squirms. We're going to be checking off our kill list. Yes, we are. We're going to be checking it twice. That's absolutely true. But before we get into that, do you have any news for the week that you want to talk about in the world of horror or in your own personal life? So I guess I can start with personal life. Nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> now, we had our first full band practice yesterday, which was really cool. So got to jam out with some of our friends Let's see, I've caught a few films throughout the week. I watched Shaun of the Dead because I picked up a steelbook copy of it off of eBay. And yeah, it's been a while since I'd watched that, so I watched that the other night. I started in on a film that Shudder actually has right now, and that's Dust Devil. That's one I've been wanting to watch for a while, so I've seen about half of that. Mm-hmm. I'll probably finish it sometime this week, but yeah, outside of that, man, just kind of keeping it low-key for the most part. How about yourself? Shit, not much. I finally finished up the main quest line for Assassin's yeah. Creed, so you know I might actually get more done with my life. They did just release the first DLC, which I am interested in playing, just because I'm a fan of the series, and nice. as soon as they said that it involves Darius, I'm like, ooh, really? I know who that is, and so... I'll end up giving it a shot probably next weekend, but mostly this week I haven't been up to much. I did watch a couple more episodes of Sabrina, just haven't given myself enough time to finish it off. Still really digging That's it. That's okay. It's going to be on there for a while, so you are you can get caught up at your leisure, but... Well, like that's the thing, the though, because there's other shit I want to get to, like the Haunting Hill House and all yeah, that. Yeah, likewise. I think that's probably the next show I'll watch. I've heard mm-hmm. some good things about that. But one more personal anecdote I guess I can add. Is I finally got a poster for the room, so oh, yeah. that's cool, man. I'm glad you put it up. Looks, we have your your addition to the recording studio, which we still have to pimp out. There's still a lot oh yeah, of there's lots of place, space. A nice little Baskin. We're Baskin in the art of yeah, Baskin. Dude. Well, we couldn't help it after talking about John Evernall again, so I figured it'd be a nice addition to the room, if nothing else. I know you said you looked up some horror stuff. Yeah, I do have some I news on the horror I started to look up some horror stuff, and I started just laughing really, uh, no, really right. hard. I mean, so I'm going to bring this up. Fuck it. <laughs> I mean, we take a look for some of our horror news at Bloody Disgusting, right? We sure do. And they run, I think it's a weekly column called Butcher's Block that sort of looks at more of the extreme shit. We're not averse to taking a look at extreme movies by any means. There's been a couple times in the past where we've gotten a little bit of a chuckle because some of our shit lines up kind of weirdly coincidentally. This didn't line up. Almost, though. But I think it was still coincidence enough that I fucking, I lost it, (laughs) because they're talking about Inside and how it relates to Christmas, with Inside being our Christmas episode last year. It sure was. And we're only a week away from doing our Christmas episode (laughs) this year. (laughs) I know, what a weird coincidence, but I thought it was... Our preparation for our Christmas episode starts today, technically. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're absolutely right. But we've already planned it out, which we'll talk about later on, but yeah, it was just coincidental they have an editorial topic about inside Inside. which we did last year yeah so so if you want to check out last year's christmas episode from us so you'd know what bloody disgusting is talking about yeah go check out inside (laughs) yeah please do and then read their article and see how it lines up but yeah there's a few pieces of information i found out that looked pretty interesting so i figure why not so the first bit of news that i have to share on the horror front as I see that Legendary Entertainment, they're announcing they are remaking The Toxic Avenger. So, for those who are fans of it, we've talked about Lloyd Kaufman because of our Death House episode, but 
They are working on a fifth installment in Troma's Toxic Avenger franchise, but Legendary Entertainment are wanting to do a reboot. So there's really no news or any details to share quite at this moment. But, you know, for fans of Troma, fans of Toxie, there's going to be a new film. That'll be a lot of fun. So the next thing I have to share, and we are fans of this particular studio, but A24, they have dated Gaspar Noe's Climax for an early 2019 release, and Gaspar Noe is no stranger to some pretty heavy topics, uh, more notably with his film Irreversible mm. and his Lovecraftian Enter the Void. So those are a few of his releases, but look for that particular film, Climax, to be released on March 1st of next year. Speaking of Haunting of Hill House, the composers, the Newton brothers, they are going to score Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep, and that is a film we've talked about several times because it is a sequel to The Shining. So it'll be really interesting to see how that film develops. I know Ewan McGregor is going to play the lead of Danny Lloyd, so I'm looking forward to that one. I think it's going to be a really good film. Now, a film we've talked about in the past as well, but apparently the new adaptation of The Witches is still happening, and Anne Hathaway has been offered a role. To what extent, we're not quite sure yet, but it does look like that film is going to get a re-adaptation. So. It's interesting. I wonder how they're going to pull it off. I've talked to Patrick a little bit because he's mm -hmm. a fan of it. That film is pretty gnarly. Dude, we and, were talking earlier this yeah, week. We might end up covering that movie at some point. I think it's a pretty good idea that we should, but... Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see what happens, who all is going to direct it, cinematographer, all that stuff. All that stuff hasn't been announced yet, but it's still going to happen at some point. Give me Guillermo. Oh, yeah. If anybody's <laughs> going to do it. <laughs> Peter Jackson, maybe, too. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. I could see either one of those guys doing that. Now, a film that you and I were looking up before we actually recorded, since we have seen the new Suspiria, for those who are interested... Lionsgate, they are going to release the VOD and I mean, for us because we're interested. Yeah, for sure. But the VOD and Blu-ray are going to be released in January of next year. So if you want a Blu-ray copy, it's coming out January 29th, 2019. And the VOD, you'll get to be able to see that on January 15th of 2019. And a little bit of other news too is you and I both seen that special features and cover art has been revealed for mm -hmm. the Suspiria Blu-ray. So because I it's come out, out to you, I'm not the most blown away uh, by the cover art. Yeah, it's not the best, but it's also it's not. I that mean, bad. it's not bad. Nah, there's nothing bad about it. It's just I really like when a lot of work is oh, put into man. cover art. Yeah, and, I'd say give it some time. I imagine yeah. we've talked about Arrow, perhaps Screen Factory, maybe down the road, but. I could see that one having like a booklet and all kinds of neat shit that goes into it. Mm -hmm. But for those who are looking for this particular release, some of the special features include the making of Suspiria featurette, one that you've kind of talked about, the secret language of dance featurette. I think that one's going to be pretty cool. And the transformations of Suspiria featurette as well. So some really cool stuff that's included. I like watching behind the scenes and featurettes. I'm sure they'll have interviews and some other shit as well. But yeah, I'm excited about that. That's one I'm definitely going to get a copy of. You've brought up Legendary a couple times during the news already. The big news for me today is they just dropped the second Godzilla King of the Monsters oh, trailer. Dude, no shit, right? I just watched it. That was and awesome. And they already already had my money, but they <laughs> they have more. Like I might end up seeing this multiple times in theaters at this point. This is looking fucking insane. That might be. An early frontrunner for film of the year. Dude, I'm so excited. My love of Godzilla stretches so far back, and 
Jesus, it all looks just epic. epic. Yeah, exactly. That's one that's definitely made for theaters and for audiences. Yeah. God, Mothra, Dude. King Ghidorah, yeah. Rodan, Godzilla himself, obviously. <laughs> I yeah. wonder if they're going to bring no on <laughs> Megara, Babara. <laughs> Just kidding. That's for South Park fans. But no, that film does look epic, man. I'm looking forward to it. It has a stellar cast, too, when you see the trailer and who all's involved. So it looks like they put all their eggs in one basket for that one. I'm okay with that. I mean, from what I know, is it's still going to be followed up, too, by wow. Godzilla vs. King Kong. So Damn. That's going to be awesome. The Skull Island Kong. No shit. So, yeah. Sweet. Hell yeah. So yeah, for those who are looking forward to that, be on the lookout, check it out. Super on the lookout. One other thing I guess I can share because I've talked about it several times now, but I did see that the house that Jack built, I talked about the fact that as of December 14th, so when this episode drops, it's already going to be available, but the VOD, it's not going to be unrated until next year, so you're going to get an R-rated cut. Oh, until next year. Until at least, I've heard until at least maybe next June. Of 2019. Which means I'm probably not going to even watch it till next year. I know, right? It's like, damn. I, I mean, want to see the yeah. uncut. We I wanted to come on. Don't tease us with that shit. So especially yeah, I have to hold out. Especially coming from Lars, like. Yeah, I had seen that there was YouTube had a version of the uncut available for like, I don't know, it was 24 hours I think tops, and then they put it down. So those who got on board and got a copy of it, mm-hmm. they still do, but it's vanished. <laughs> damn but anywho yeah that's about all i have to share as far as personal and just little news bits i found interesting shit i ain't got nothing else let's get into the guts and bolts of kill news yeah Getting up in them guts and bolts. All up for kill list. Man, I'm excited to do this today. I don't know why, but... <laughs> no, I, I totally am as well. Now, this is a director that I'm a little bit familiar with because of a few films, of course, we'll mention in a little while. But this film had been on my radar for a while. Just never really got around to it. But that was also part of the reason why we do this podcast in the first place. Right. Gives us a good excuse to keep checking out these different horror movies yeah, that we've heard about for a bit. I have to say the same thing. It's sort of been on my radar for a bit. Kept seeing all the like amazing critical reviews of this movie. Was kind of curious what it was all about. And when we didn't know what we were going to do, we were like, cool, I guess that's a good excuse to watch Kill List then. Yeah, and without spoiling too much, I'm not disappointed that we chose this film. Me either, not at all. Let's see. However, to do this proper guts and bolts style first i'll point out that from my side of the table we're smoking on some sour diesel today yeah and i like it dude it's like it'll put you right in the pocket and put you right in that good mood so i brought over some stuff i still have from my little care package from my birthday so i would imagine knowing the person who gave it to me there's probably some kush and i think some herbs and shit like that so not too bad i mean i'm not complaining so that's pretty much what i have to offer drinking on some vitamin water that's kind of a staple around here, too. I guess mm-hmm. we should, in case they ever want to help us out. <laughs> yeah, Vitamin Water, we're always on your shit. So yeah, for reals. Fucking, not that anyone from Vitamin Water is Man, listening to our know. asses, but... 
just in case <laughs> we like your shit. With that, man, I guess we can kind of give our audience an idea of what this film's about with a little bit of a synopsis. Yeah, let's see. Spoiler-free synopsis. That's the hard one for this one, because you really want to stay away from the spoiler on this one. And I feel like every review I'd ever seen of this really stays away from what this movie actually ends up going into. But... Yeah, for sure. One thing I did see, or at least hear and see, was our lead actor in this film. He was asked to give a brief, like, one-sentence synopsis as well about what this film's about without mentioning certain, like, kill list. <laughs> and he said it's essentially... A war vet who's been unemployed for eight months, he gets a job offer, and this could possibly be his last job. The Now, the lead actor might have said that. Yeah, and I he's like, wanna, it's kind of shit. Buddy. I was about to say, the lead actor might have said that, but I have seen multiple interviews with Wheatley, and he is very quick to point out that this was never meant to be his last job. Exactly. He is just been out of work for a little bit i guess i mean kill list some of it's a little bit implied so former soldier slash contract killer gets a new job after having been out thanks to trauma and it leads to a far darker rabbit hole than he imagined i can't disagree with that at all <laughs> because that's exactly what you get so with a, a nice little brief synopsis of what this film entails we like to talk about the people who go into making the film that's both behind the camera and in front of the camera. So we'll talk about our director, and that is Ben Wheatley. We had mentioned before that there's some films I'd seen before, and I'll mention that in just a second. But some of his early works were the film Down Terrace. He went on to direct 14 episodes of a television series entitled Ideal. That was from like 2009 and 10. Then he went on to do the film Sightseers. He's done a segment for the ABCs of Death, and that segment was You is for Unearthed. He's also the director of A Field in England, which that was one of those films I was watching, but that is definitely one you need with captions on because there's some really thick British phrases and just the accent and stuff like that, the dialect. Now, Ben's also directed two episodes of Doctor Who from 2014. He's also done the film High Rise and the film Free Fire. Now, He's also one of the writers on this because joining him is his wife, and that is Amy Jump. And she's helped write such films as Sightseers, A Field in England, High Rise, Free Fire, Freak Shift, which is currently in pre-production. But pretty much any project Ben's been on, she's helped either write, edit, etc. Our cinematographer on this is Lori Rose. He has done such films as Down Terrace. He's also the cinematographer on Sightseers, The ABCs of Death. He's done some music documentaries. He's done The Stone Roses, Made of Stone, band I really like. He's also the cinematographer on A Field in England, ABCs of Death, the segment G. He's also done six episodes of Peaky Blinders. That was back in 2014. He is the cinematographer on Overlord film you just recently seen yeah that's actually i thought there was like two scenes in this that looked kind of like overlord i nice. should have written them down but that's really funny i did not know that and there was like two parts where i was like oh that's weird that looks kind of weirdly familiar yeah. like well, okay, cool. yeah that's pretty cool and he's also 
going to be the cinematographer on the upcoming Pet Cemetery in 2019. Now, I did mention that Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump are also editors on this film, and joining them is Robin Hill. And he's known such things as Pumpkinhead, Blood Feud, Down Terrace, Sightseers, White Shadow, The Canal, and a television series entitled W1A, and that was from 2014 through 2017. The music on this was done by Jim Williams. He's helped on pretty much, looks like almost all of Ben Wheatley's projects, but some of those have been Down Terrace, Sightseers, A Field in England. A film that you and I really enjoy because we actually got to see it in the theaters was Raw. He's also composed music on the film The Dark Mile, the film Beast, and one that really surprised me is Rocco's Modern Life, Static Cling, yeah, the TV movie. It's like, damn. Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life. (laughs) Spunky. I love that shit, dude. It's so good. All right, now the special effects were done by Future Effects and Hybrid Enterprises. Producers on this film were Claire Jones and Andrew Stark. Production companies were Warp X, Rook Films, Film 4 Productions, UK Film Council, and Screen Yorkshire. Distributors on this were Optimum Releasing, they helped with the United Kingdom theatrical release, and IFC Midnight helped with the United States theatrical release. Release dates were March 12th, 2001. That was at the South by Southwest Film Festival. That was in Austin, Texas, here in the States. And it had a premiere on August 28th, 2011 at the Fright Fest Film Festival in the United Kingdom. The budget for this was a moderate $800,000 US, roughly 500000 I think, pounds. Mm-hmm. Box office, it grossed $462,000. It doesn't have an official tagline, but I did see one on a poster, and that tagline is, they are bad people, they should suffer. Okay, that's cool. Mm, and I'll, I got that written down a little bit later on. Okay, so that's some of the people who went into making the film, and now we can talk about the Kill List cast, which is a really good cast. I was trying to remember, I was trying to look it up, because I felt like, did one of our fans tell us to look at some Ben Wheatley movies? I keep feeling like somebody I, told us to. <laughs> Marquand, was that you? Somebody. Brett, it sounds. Yeah, maybe it sounds Tori. Somebody did. Somebody that reached out to us. Did one of you guys tell us to do some Ben Wheatley? Because I keep feeling like one of you told us to do some Ben Wheatley. So here you go. Yeah. <laughs> so subconsciously, we got influenced as well. <laughs> Which I'm okay keep, with. I kept okay looking with. through. I, that's what I was looking down. I was just looking down at my phone for like four minutes and I was scrolling through all the old messages like, God, I keep feeling like one of these motherfuckers told us to do yeah. something from him. And, that sounds familiar, maybe I'm, too. Maybe I'm wrong, but okay. I thought for sure one of you guys did. So take credit, even if it wasn't you. Yeah, just hit us up. Let us know it was you. <laughs> All right, so I'll lead off with our lead actor, and that was played by Neil Maskell, and he plays the character of Jay. Now, when I looked at some of his film credits, he's got a really interesting one that he led off with, and that film is called Nil by Mouth. and So... Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman flick, right? the only one he's written, the only one he's directed. And from what I understand, it's one of those critically acclaimed films because it gives a very, very accurate look at kind of like lower class of England. Mm-hmm. Especially, I want to say like during the it was either 70s or 80s. I think that was a time period it was kind of set in. But I've heard some really good stuff about that film. So Neil's been in that. He's also been in such films as Redemption Road. The Football Factory, which I heard is another really good film. He's also in Basic Instinct Part 2. He was in the film The Englishman, 
there's a film I have seen. I need to rewatch it because I think what I know now, I probably appreciate the film better. But he was in the film Tony, and that's a British film about a serial killer. Mm. Pretty decent film. He's also in the segment You is for Unearthed from the ABCs of Death. He's also been in such things as Open Windows. He was in King Arthur, Legend uh, of the, the Sword. Good one, right? Yeah. He was also in the updated The Mummy. I think that was with Tom Cruise. And a film entitled In Darkness. You know, the actress plays opposite him, and that is played by Miana Bering. She plays the character of Shell, who is the wife of Jay. Now, she's been in some really cool films. We've talked about Neil Marshall before because we've done Dog Soldiers, but she was in his other film, The Descent. She's also been in the film The Omen. She was in Grindhouse. She's also been in Doomsday, which is a film you and I have brought up a couple times. Pretty cool film. I really like Doomsday. Yeah. She's been in such things as Vampire Killers. She was also in the sequel to The Descent, and that was The Descent Part 2. She's been in other films such as The Twilight Saga, both parts one and two of Breaking Dawn. You might have seen her in Downton Abbey from 2012 and 2013. She was also in the video game The Witcher's Part 3. And uh, she lent her voice as Anna Henrietta in that. I thought it was kind of cool. I know that's something you've played. So. I got interrupted by buying Assassin's Creed. Well, I can understand. So, yeah. But I mean, I the actually haven't played it, nearly as much of it as I really want to, but. It's pretty that's cool. Actually, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah. yeah, you'll recognize it when you hear it. All right, now the next actor I have, and this is Michael Smiley. He plays the character of Gal in this film. Now, ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. So Michael Smiley, I recognized because I like Spaced. Mm. And he Sunday. plays, a, yeah, that's right. And he is a recurring character that shows up for two episodes of Space. Nice. That's pretty cool, dude. Well, this will make sense when you look at some of his other credits because he was uncredited in Shaun of the Dead, which is a film I just watched. He was also in a really cool film. I don't know if I would classify it as horror. It just has those elements. But that particular movie is called Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. This is kind of a cool and weird connection in a way, but... Kurt Cobain was inspired to write the song Scentless Apprentice mm -hmm. because of the novel Perfume. Oh. So, yeah, there's a kind of a cool music connection with that. All right, now Michael's also been in The Other Bolin Girl. You might have also seen him in Down Terrace. He was also in the segment You Was Fun Unearthed in The ABCs of Death. You might have seen him in an episode of Black Mirror entitled White Bear. Ooh, <laughs> here's a fun one. Here's a nerdy deep cut. Yeah. He reprised a pretty famous role, though I don't think many people know the name of the character. I guess he wasn't the one reprising it because he didn't do the original. Right, but right. The character was a reprise, though. Yeah. He was Dr. Evazan in the short little cameo that Dr. Evazan makes in Rogue One. I saw that. That's really cool. Dr. Evazan was the character that you might have recognized from the Mos Eisley Cantina. There you go, dude. That's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, some other credits that I do have is he was also in A Field in England. He was in The World's End, another one of those Nick Frost and Simon Pegg films we're talking about. The Lobster, he's also in Free Fire. You had mentioned Rogue One, and he was also in the film The Nun. Right, next actress I have in this is Emma Fryer. She plays the character Fiona in this film. Now, she was on the television series Ideal. That was back in 2007 all the way through 2011. She's been in the television series Home Time. You might have seen her in the television series Critical as well. 
The next actor I have, this is his only film credit, and that is played by Harry Simpson. He plays the character Sam, which is the son of J.N. Shell. The next actor I have is Struan Roger. He is the client in this film, and he's got some really interesting credits. He goes all the way back, and if you've ever seen the film Chariots of Fire, you might recognize him in that. He was also in Four Weddings and a Funeral. He was in the film Stardust. He's also played the character of the Three-Eyed Raven in Game of Thrones, if you're familiar with that. And he's also lent his voice to a lot of video games, which I thought was really interesting as well. But he's got a wealth of credits. It was kind of hard to pick out all of them. So (laughs) I figured I'd at least mention some of the ones that were a little bit more notable. All right, the next character I have is Ben Compton. He plays Justin. Straight out of Oh, straight out Crompton. of Crompton. Crompton. Straight out of Crompton. <laughs> straight out of Crompton. He, like I said, he plays the character of Justin in this. He was in such things as Les Miserables. You might have seen him in 102 Dalmatians. He was also part of the Ideal television series from 2005 all the way through 2011. So Ben Crompton and Michael Smiley were in the same Doctor Who episode. That's pretty cool. Because it's the second one that was directed by Ben Wheatley. Into the Dalek, which is the second episode of Series 8, I believe. Nice. Because he did both the first and second episodes of Series 8, which were Peter Capaldi's first two full episodes as the Doctor. I probably remember his character in Into the Dalek better than his character in Kill List. And I just watched Kill List this morning. You know what's funny about that? (laughs) Now looking at who, who the fuck this guy is is I look at him now, I was like, oh yeah, he was the guy playing the guitar in the dining scene. Oh, yeah. that's just... Because now when I look at some of his other credits, it's like, oh, that's why I have him written down. Okay. But that's funny that they gave him that name, because he never goes by that. <laughs> He's in my notes that's as weird. Jesus Freak with guitar. That makes sense. <laughs> that's more accurate. <laughs> Which I, both start with J, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're talking about the same guy here. Yeah, Straight out of Crompton. <laughs> but now that I know who the hell he is... Like I said, he was a part of that Ideal television series from 05 through 11. He was also in the film Before I Go to Sleep. You might have also seen him more recently as the character of Edison Tullett in Game of Thrones. And that was from 2012 all the way through 2017. Oh. Oh, shit. He is Dolores Ed. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's Dolores Ed. Okay. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. I was like, oh, no wonder why I haven't fucking guy written down. All right. Now, the next. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. (laughs) That is pretty cool, isn't it? Okay. Now, I've mentioned this person before because they were How one of the editors. I not recognize him? I... It's because he was a Jesus freak. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted him to knock off the fucking guitar. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> All right, Robin Hill, who was one of our editors on this film, also plays the character of Stuart. Stuart's probably just another member of that fucking oh, you Jesus know group. Right. Yeah. right, yeah, exactly. Robin Hill plays the character of Stuart. You're probably right. He was in that Jesus freak little group. <laughs> But That's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. But he's also done a couple other acting credits, and most because of Ben Wheatley. But he was in Down Terrace, and he was also in the segment You is Fun Unearthed in the ABCs of Death. Gareth Tunley, he plays the priest in this film. You might recognize him because he was actually in the British version of The Office. I believe he was in an episode or two back in 2002. He was also in Peep Show. Which is another British television series Peep I really like. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of Peep Show, but what I've watched, I really like. I think so. I've seen like the first three or four seasons, and I liked them. I just same thing. I just kind of fell off. And he's also been in Down Terrace. 
Now, Mark Kempnar, he plays the librarian in this film. He's done such works as Tale of a Vampire. He was also in the film Down Terrace. You might have seen him in Peep Show in 2009. He was also in The World's End and more recently in a film entitled Criminal. Robert Hill plays the high priest, which we'll mention that a little bit later on. <laughs> All right, he's been in such things as Project Assassin. I could be the Assassin. high priest. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we both could. <laughs> we might be right now. And uh, he's also been in Down Terrace as well. Now, these two people, I don't even know if I should give them credit because it's like I looked and I listened for them. No, fuck it. I know who you're about to say. Fuck it. I, I can't even think of who it is. It's weird, man, because they get credited as radio reporters. Okay. One of them is played by Alice Lowe, and she's been to such things as Hot Fuzz. She was in Sightseer, The World's End, the film Prevenge, which is I think it still might be on Shudder. Mm. She was also in the film Paddington and more recently The Ghoul, and she's been in a ton of television oh, the series. Paddington Bear movie is amazing. Yeah, I was like, wow, I couldn't tell you where I heard her in this film. No. <laughs> and the other one... Radio Reporter. Yeah, yeah. No. The other nope. one was Steve Oram, and I looked at his film credits. I was like, damn, this is kind is of Is it cool. while they're staking out the guy it in could the be. car? It could be. That's the only place I could think is while they're in the car. But Steve Oram has been in such things as Sightseers. You might have seen him in The World's End. He was in a film entitled, ah. Uh... It's like, all right. And he was also in Welcome to the Punch. It's like, all right. But yeah, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. We gave you a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings. Not that there are a lot, but there's some pretty interesting ones. God, yeah. Definitely language. Language. Violence. I'm trying to think about how to warn about some of the content without giving away too much. Since Super we are visceral violence. Yeah. Hyper-realistic, um, I would maybe surmise it as. Though there's not too many instances of no, it. No, just the brief the f- ones that happen. In fact, you won't really run into any violence till about the halfway point of the movie. Yeah. Most of it's just verbal kind yeah. of jousting, <laughs> to mm. put it lightly, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Depending on just how sensitive you are to awkward social scenes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, there's that. There's a dinner party that might be hard to sit through. That's what I mean by like the verbal experience jousting. like bad secondhand. Oh like, man, social if you're anxiety the guests and, and shit there. How that's fucking <laughs> awkward. There are some depictions of animal death in this for those who aren't comfortable with that oh, too. Yep, a little bit of nudity towards the end. Yep, along with oh, I'm just gonna say cult things. Yeah. Some very That's all I'm going to say right things, now. Yeah. But yeah, outside of that, it's a pretty simple film to follow without giving too much away because there's some other really cool shit to talk about. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of your warnings. I think if you're comfortable with what's coined as folk horror, it might be up okay. your alley. Yeah, folk horror. Sure. That makes sense for at least a little bit of it. The last third of this movie that is for sure horror. Yeah. And not more of a thriller like the first two-thirds of this movie <laughs> no, is. It's kind of a mash of genres, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's just get into talking about it. Right. Maybe you'll understand what we mean. Oh, and go fucking watch it. Yeah, do yourselves a favor and then come back and listen to us bullshit about it. <laughs> All right. How did Kill Lust make us squeal in three, two, one? God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh, God, what... What's going on? Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh my god, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh jeez. Why? Why? Come on. 
Somebody, somebody. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir, come on. Somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's gotta be there. I will shock you. Come on. Sir, sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Alright, kill list. How it made us squeal. If you haven't been able to pick up on it, we're feeling pretty positive about this. I dug the movie. I definitely dug the movie. Likewise. I sure did, man. This is when I get to watch a little bit earlier in the week. And so between seeing it the first time and then watching it to take my notes for it, there's a little bit of space in between for me to kind of reflect and look at some interviews and read all kinds of neat shit to make a little bit more sense of some of the stuff that I might maybe have missed the first time. So it was kind of a cheating way because I started to notice more things, of course, the second time through. Well, I was going to say, even if you don't go and do the research afterwards, I feel like this movie is better the second time through. Because I think even if you don't do the research, after you know, it's not a twist ending, but no. after you know the ending, yeah, it's easier to see everything that this movie does really well with like the setup. And once you know the setup's in place, you can sort of focus on some of the smaller details, which will give you some of the themes behind exactly. it. Exactly. Which is really interesting. I mean, it's a cool way of getting to analyze a film. It's a decently simple film that leaves a lot very ambiguous at the end. Yeah. And a lot of details are never filled in, probably were never thought about, given what I've read in some of Wheatley's interviews. Yeah, exactly. But this film makes it work with how personal the story feels and just the acting and the life that the actors bring to the characters. Yeah, I think that's a really cool thing to think about, too, while you're watching this film. It's not necessarily like you're watching actors trying to perform a character. You actually feel like these are the characters. You're just kind of dropped in to their daily life. And you get to see how a real family and the relationships they have with each other, how it feels very authentic. Now, one interesting anecdote, too, is I've read, and same thing about Ben Wheatley, is that he actually wrote the parts for these people with them in mind. Which I think helps. I wanted to kind of bring that up in the guts and bolts, because it is kind of like that sort of behind-the-scenes knowledge. But it really fit in more to how much I enjoyed this movie. Because I think without that symbiosis, so much is left vague in this movie that on the power of the script alone, it could have fallen very flat. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would have been interesting to see what if, you know, you play the what if games, had that been the case, like different actors actually had audition for these roles, it wouldn't have been the same. Yeah. Or if, yeah, you just took this script and gave it to somebody else completely. A completely um, different film. Somebody, I mean, because this is a, a personal story for Wheatley as well. A lot of the shit in the third act when it turns into a horror yeah. movie yeah. is based straight from his own nightmares yeah. and his own insecurities. Exactly, and, growing and up fears. in the countryside and things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is really cool. So you're right. There's a lot of thought that went into I, the script. Yeah, and that's the thing, though. I think the strength of this script alone is not a good movie. Exactly. I know what you I mean by that. Though this, this the symbiotic yeah. relationship with the fact that it was a personal tale for him in some ways, 
as well as the fact that the dialogue and the parts were written for these specific people that he had worked with before, and so he knew what they were bringing to the table, what they could bring to the table, and their own personalities so that he could make it easier for them by making sure that they were written into the right part, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. Combined with just allowing the characters to take this forward... Every scene was done both to script and then improvised, and a lot of improvisation makes through to the final cut of the movie. Yeah, no, there are certain scenes that you can totally tell that some of it was ad-libbed. And I think that also just is huge for the way this movie plays out, because it still makes you invested in some characters that aren't actually wholly likable. I felt invested (laughs) in these characters and I didn't really like them. That's uh, an interesting thing to think about too, is these people, especially Jay, he's more of an anti-hero, you know, when you think about it. And you're right, these people in this particular film, as far as their characters, you're right, they're not really likable people per se. It's like... They still have to go through the daily grind that normal mm-hmm. people have to. It's just in a different social setting. It's a little bit more upper class. And you're getting dropped into this weird part where they're not having an easy time in their lives either. Jay is obviously <laughs> oh, suffering from some sort of PTSD. You can't help but notice it as the film is unraveling. Even kind of early on, too, you kind of know something's a little off kilter. Ooh, that was also a weird bit. You get everything so organically because in real life shit isn't just brought up and you're not giving these big exposition dumps like you see happen in movies often. But that does lead to you having to figure out some shit in this movie. Like at first I didn't know that his wife knew what he did for a living. And then later in the movie, it becomes very clear that it's kind of a family-run operation. It is kind and of a business. And she's kind of the business side of it, while he's the go-out-there-and-take-control-of-shit side. Yeah, and he's I realized that she so was speak. completely complicit, which made me have a much different view of her and yeah. how much she was sort of brushing off the problems that he was obviously having. But we also didn't get to see the first eight months where yeah. maybe she was being supportive and it just got to the point where he truly was just being a fucking lazy ass like you're right he just disassociating from everybody at that point we didn't get to see everything no, leading didn't. up to that so you're right a lot of it is you having to fill in the blanks on some of this stuff because of the lack of expo and that's quite all right because it, i feel like it makes it felt more real the more yeah it made it more relatable like yeah, and anybody, for the most part, has probably gone through these struggles at some point, financial, in a relationship, children involved. And if I meet somebody, I don't get to immediately know their entire backstory. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, all I know of them is from meeting them onwards, and then I'll hear about other stuff, but right. I wasn't there. I don't know anything. Like, you're, you're absolutely right. It, for the most part, it's just your imagination along with the story they tell you, and how much of it can you believe? In some ways, I feel like I was going to say, let's start talking about the movie, but in some ways, we've already been talking about the entire first half of the movie. We kind of have, because... the entire first half of this movie is just a long family drama talking about all of these problems that we're talking about right now. Now, there are specific events that happen, but... 
the entire first the half part. of this movie is just setting up this tense situation where their marriage isn't doing well right now although Wheatley did say in an interview that I saw that they're not in a bad marriage it's just that this happens to be a time when a tough time for them yeah Yeah. exactly and you kind of glean that too because there's moments of them showing affection towards each other reconciliation things like that they're not a physically abusive couple per se it's just She's frustrated with him because of his lack of ambition. You mm-hmm. know, she knows that, yeah, there's a time where you can kind of, I guess, reflect and kind of get over whatever distress you're going through, but then you have to move on, and he's stuck on that funk. <laughs> yeah, and it's to the point where it's affecting Everybody around them. him, yeah. She gave him the time period where he could have gotten the help. Yep, and it's gone it's, beyond that. It's beyond, because now they're... Running out of money, they when got you, a kid. When you think of this film too, how much social commentary <laughs> is involved, and that's He's another the thing. man like, dealing with bills, dealing in with a bills. That seems He's self-medicating. He's dealing with almost like a civilian life, you know. So that's probably a struggle as well. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a really neat allegory, a metaphor for those things. So the style of this movie is jumpy. Yeah, the way it's edited, a lot of cuts, a lot of cuts. I did see another interview where Wheatley was talking about that too and their editing process. Yeah, I, I don't it's, really. It's neat. It's it's neat. It's worth looking up. I'm not going to go into all of that right now. Yeah, no, it's um, it's an arduous task though. But it's also making it hard for me to remember exactly what all happens in the beginning of this movie, like what order it all happens in. You know, from what, what I mean? <laughs> from what I had written down and trying to follow this is we've already alluded that there's been like this eight month period where they've lost forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And just because he hasn't worked, he's complaining of back problems. That's why he has a jacuzzi, and she tells him it's all in his head, basically. And that's what we were alluding to, is there's some other shit that has happened over those course of those months that we didn't see. It's just all that shit's been alluded to at that point. After the, a little bit, there is a really interesting mirroring scene that Jay and Shell and their son Sam have with some swords. Oh, let's talk about that at the end. I'm just saying it has yeah. some really neat mirroring. So yeah, hint, but that's hint. the thing. You get some of the you get the ups and you get the downs. You do, Cause and like, it's because that comes right after yeah. like a big fight between Jay and Shell. You get this brief moment of happiness, and you get yeah. to see what their family looks like. And, but you're right. I think for the most part, it's just setting up the fact that they're driving home the point that not that they're in debt, but they're running out of money. Money's not coming in. Jay's lazy. Then you see like. There are little things that get at them, like him not going out to get toilet paper instead of buying like 10 bottles of wine and tuna fish and shit. So he's absent-minded on top of it. And I also thought was sort of showing his PTSD a little bit more, too. Oh, yeah. And that's when it's just like they're just kind of setting up these characters. And it's cool. It's, it's interesting. The first half of this movie, once again, this whole drama part, and it starts getting into like friendships and relationships in a minute, too, once they it have does. the dinner party. And Gal and Jay's friendship, which is something I thought was really neat. Reminded me, kind of, they look like people. Yeah, that's a good point. And the naturalness of it all and how it felt in their dialogue. Absolutely, man. You could tell that these guys have a connection. You know, it's probably, of course, outside of film, but it felt authentic. You're right. They had this partnership. They've had this long history together. They've been in the war together. They're partners together, (laughs) you know? And even before shit starts popping off... There's altercations and shit that show off sort of, I wrote it down as like the elasticity of friendship. 
and sort of the shit that you'll put up with yeah as like you know that your fucking mates getting his shit together like yeah like yeah you know, they, they rattle each other up a little at bit. the dinner table especially yeah there was something interesting that happened and i i know i use that word a lot but interesting to the story because of dialogue you really do have to pay attention there's a lot that's being shared in those exchanges that help fill in some of the blanks but what i found neat or keen was how jay and both shell there's two separate moments that they have where they both blame each other for starting it starting it (laughs) And I thought it was a neat thing because you feel like that shift in the relationship too. It's like they're letting those little things get to them. <laughs> it's just like it felt like an authentic thing. Like that would be the case for the most part. I'm just going to rock it through like the bare bones of yeah, this movie yeah. real quick so we can talk about all the shit surrounding it. Because bare bones, Jay and Gal end up taking the job. Jay's forced to sign in blood. Blood pact. <laughs> they're given these targets. You start off with the priest. The priest, Says thank you before he dies. Yeah, that's already weird. You get the librarian. Yeah, we find some dirty secrets. Dirty shit. Also ends up thinking before getting killed. Yeah, and revealing yeah. something probably a little bit more to it as well. There's revealed that there's something more, but what he's hitting at is never You don't really know. Expounded upon. It's just alluded to, yeah. yeah. Then they try to get out of it. Exactly. Oh, then they go off well, list because of the shit involving right. the librarian. They go off list... There's a doctor visit, and then there's a meet-up with the clients again because they want out. Because they want out. They don't get out. No, they can't get they, out. <laughs> instead, they get the order to kill the member of parliament. Yeah, the which MP. also, I thought it was funny because when they said MP, I immediately thought military police. Well, being American, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I had to slow down for a second being like, there's no way they're sending him after military police. MP, MP, MP. member of parliament. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. At which point, it gets super culty. Wow. And eventually, they're captured and shit pops off at the end. Now that we have bare bones out of the way, we'll talk about all the shit fucked up to fill in the blanks. I didn't want to have to keep alluding to be like, now that you know it's a fucking cult, da-da-da-da-da. So let's get back to this dinner table real quick. Yeah, dinner table is a huge scene. Actually, let's back it up even further than that. Okay. Now that we know it's a cult and the hunchback shit goes down... That's why this movie's worth a second look. Yeah, you're like, oh, damn, that's Because the, wild. It's what good. was probably one of the happiest scenes in this movie becomes one of the saddest scenes <sighs> in this movie Man. because of the foreshadowing. Bar none. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Once you know the end, re-watching this movie, the foreshadowing wow. becomes some of the most sad parts of this movie and completely changes the tone of some scenes. It certainly does. You're absolutely right. It's, it's brilliant, though. I mean, it's clever writing. Without nerding out too much again, both you and I saw some Wheatley stuff, but he also mentioned, too, like the way that Stanley Kubrick writes and the way that he writes as well. is is like he works in reverse. Like he already has... Certain his, images in place. Yeah fill in the story exactly and that's kind of what this bare bones is about too like we got the structure in place now we can just fill in the blanks we'll talk about the hunchback even more later but it makes the opening happy scene way more sad then you get the dinner table maybe a little bit before that too i do want to mention that one scene that he has with his son sam the bedtime story in baghdadistan right however (laughs) wow so this movie does a good job of avoiding too many like usual movie tropes 
But when the guy with PTSD goes to tell his son a bedtime story, <laughs> yeah. I know that he's not going to tell him a normal bedtime story. I know that there's going to be <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a major pain story. There's going to be something there. And so I was expecting Kiev. Likewise, honestly, we the first time around, but we didn't get Kiev. No, you got the Iraq story. You get Iraq. Yeah, which I think fits into some more of the social themes. It certainly does. That Wheatley was trying to throw in, but I thought it was going to be Kiev. I was hoping for that too, but no, you're right. When he said Baghdad, I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 no doubt. But something else that's kind of neat too is his use of saying the abracadabra and then the screen going blank. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I kind of like that too. Yeah, that was neat. But yes, dinner scene. Dinner scene. <laughs> Ooh, awkward. It starts off rather well. Oh man, though. But dinner scene second time through, after knowing everything, you learn exactly what Fiona does for the cult. <laughs> yeah. And explains more why she's following them. Absolutely. So there's a question I have about all this. How involved do you think Gal was? I don't think he was at all involved with the cult. I think he was just so happened to meet up with the wrong Gal, who probably already knew who he was and knew the influence of his friend, potentially. So I don't think Gal was involved at all, to be frank. I feel like the cult was treating Gal like a prospect to be brought into the cult without him knowing it. But then they never intended to actually bring him into the cult. They just knew that he was the key to getting Jay into the right place. That's what I feel. He's more or less just kind of without, I guess, better analogies of pawn. He's just a pawn in their game, unbeknownst to him. When he didn't have to give any blood, though... There was a good bit of the movie where I was like, ooh, he might be a member. And that's understandable because interestingly enough, too, he's never involved with any of the kills. I mean, he's there, but he never pulls a trigger. He doesn't kill anybody in this film outside of later on. There's nothing in the script to explicitly support this, but I feel the way that Smiley played Gal through his acting I feel like by the end of the movie Gal realizes that he might as well have been a member of the cult because Jay wouldn't have been in any of these situations without him and the cult manipulating him the way that they wanted to I don't know it's a weird one I mean it's a strong argument too but I think the way that their relationships have played out and knowing that the people who are involved in the hierarchy they probably have ties to the intel needed to know about these guys and why they probably fit a certain profile for their specific needs or whatever fulfillment they want to achieve. But I feel like he's just an unfortunate pawn in their bigger game, and it was an easy move to get Jay involved. I mean, he was his right-hand man. Okay, so now here's the other thing. Given that Jay was the target and the cult knows about Kiev... And we don't know what happened in Kiev. Was the cult responsible for what happened in Kiev? And is that why they know? I know we're digging deep. This is like deep cuts, right? <laughs> How much Wheatley and Jonathan... Yeah, I don't think he ever planned. That's what I'm getting exactly. at. It's like, I know we're probably reading a lot more into it, but this is what makes it fun, too, is because there's plausible accountability, too, because when you think of the cult and their influence, and like I said, they know information... It seems like it's far-reaching. <laughs> so, But what I mean by that is it means their influence is far-reaching. But that, yeah, I know, and that's, I guess that's the specifics. Am I, do they he know might have, about Kiev yeah, because he fits a, maybe a they're certain profile, powerful, or do they know because they caused it? 
have they I, been I targeting yeah. Jay for a long time, or are they targeting him now because he fits because a certain of, profile? That's a great point. I think you can make an argument for both. I mean, you honestly can. I'd like to think in a bigger scheme that they did have some kind of influence in Kiev just to see if he fits their profile accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've been keeping tabs on him since. Why also, else would he be a mark like that? There's not way, a, it's not a coincidence. Considering they never say what happened in Kiev, my mind immediately <sighs> went to like something fucking Baskin happened there. <laughs> All right, oh, dude. Like, I don't think, I think it was much more normal than that or else he would have brought it up at some point. There's but... a line that Michael Smiley has, his character has with Jay in the car concerning one of their hits. And the line that he says to him is they were talking, I can't remember, it might've been the librarian when he was coming out. Could have been the priest. I can't remember exactly whom, but the line had something to the effect like they were talking about like maybe they were a pedo or whatever. He's talking about the fact he's like them killing a priest or whoever it was. And he's like, well, it's better than a baby. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, what did he mean by that exactly? It's like they would rather be killing, you know, librarian, priest, whatever, MP, than a baby. Why would he use a baby as a point of reference in that <laughs> or a toddler? When he said that, it made me think, did he mean something like something bad happened in Kiev? Like, maybe Jay killed a toddler? Right. <laughs> That's what I thought that line could be interpreted as. I kind of felt the same thing. Well, I, I, I wasn't sure which line you were going to bring up right away, but as soon as you said it, when I heard that, I kind of wondered the same thing. Like, did Jay Because it's kill so a baby? subtle the way he said yeah. it, too. He didn't make a big deal out of it, but I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's the good thing this movie does, like I said, is that it leaves you with a lot of questions that are kind of fun to fill in with your own mind. And that's why it's a good thing that the acting and writing for the actors was so on par. Because it leaves you with so many questions that this could have been a shit movie. (laughs) Man, you know, that's the brilliance of the way that these films are put together. And the right hands, right Um, people. Right. So, me and you both watch a lot of horror movies. Can't help it at this point. <laughs> How soon in did you know it was a cult? Be honest, I knew right away there was something fishy. I mean, you can't help but notice, but when Fiona at the dinner party, she etches that glyph in the back of the mirror. I was like, that's some cult shit right there already. What's happening? So I knew that she was a part of something, a cult. She was marking them. I mean, we've done enough films now to kind of recognize those things. But the way that it doesn't get played out into much later on. That's where the interesting tidbits come into play because you know they're being influenced outside of just what their job is. Okay, here's the other thing. Maybe I feel like you did. I feel like we both. I feel like we <laughs> both right. guessed this at some point in the movie. At what point did you realize that he was going to kill his family? Uh, that's even a better point. I feel like we've both watched enough horror at this point that it wasn't a true surprise when it happened. No, no, honestly, it really wasn't. Not that I knew for certain, but the first time through, I was thinking, it seems like the way the relationship was, on initial impression, you'd think there's more toxicity than there really is. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, man, this dude has a wild streak, and they're letting that beast out. So probably after he goes down into that complex with the uh, pornographers. Oh, okay. When he was going on that tangent, I was like, whoa, he has the propensity to do something violent like that. You kind of see the beast. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh, that's true. I guess you're right, because early in the movie, you're like, something might pop off just because of the family tension. Oh, man, you're like, ooh. But 
I didn't think of it in formalized, like, he's going to end up killing his family for, for sure, sure. Yeah. until he went off list. As soon as he went off the list, combined with the fact that I already knew he was dealing with a cult, yeah. I'm like, he's going to end up killing his family then. There's no other way for this movie to end. Exactly. Yeah, just the way that it's playing out but, at that point. That being said, it didn't play out in any way that I could have fucking imagined. No, no I just no. knew that at that point that he Something was going to end up killing his family. That's the only <laughs> place that it felt like it could go and be emotionally resonant. I've seen somebody, they were writing an article, and I should have wrote this person down. Maybe later on I'll give them credit. But the point was, is I'd seen them kind of relate this film a little bit in that tone to a Serbian film. Oh my god, I was going to bring up a Serbian film because mostly because the family aspect and how he kind of gets tricked into it. And I felt like once the cult started getting involved that that was the most plausible way for the cult to get him to kill his family was by trick. Yeah. And it immediately made me think of a Serbian film. <laughs> but here's the other, I do want to point okay. out as much as I did foresee the fact that he would kill his family i thought the cult was going to operate under much more martyrs like means oh shoot that would have been dope like but but even just like that aesthetic no i still did not have any idea whatsoever (laughs) that this movie was going to end in the wicker man (laughs) all right i will get back to that too the question that i had for you is how much that bloodletting that he got from that cut not that there's a lot of supernatural, like if at all in this film. Mm-hmm. I'm probably reading a little bit more into it, but I felt like that right there, there was somehow they're tapping into his rage with these known targets and them thanking him and them knowing shit and then him just losing his cool. Like he has PTSD. We know this. We know that something happened in Kiev. We don't know exactly. We just know something happened. Mm-hmm. And the further and further he gets into this, it's like a downward spiral. Like all of that pent up shit he's had for eight months, he's letting it out. Probably likes to kill. It's just he doesn't like to admit it. He kind of reminded me of the Punisher. Dude, he he's beast. His buddy tells him that too. He's like, you're a bit of a madman. Yeah. But no, I think you're absolutely right. The character very much seemed to me like he realized in his time... In the military, followed by his time as a contract killer, that he likes to kill. This is all he knows. And he's not very good at doing any of the other stuff. And he's kind of fallen into a depression that's keeping him from starting killing again. Yeah. It's this dichotomous reflection because there's a lot of use of mirrors in this film. You can't help but notice that. And refractions and things like that. But... For him, yeah, he's probably been reflecting in that gap. Like, something fucked up <laughs> happened. Yeah, we don't know, but a like lot I said, of time. I, I like going Baskin on that idea, but... <laughs> yeah, oh, man. I'm all for it. <laughs> there is a moment where his attitude sort of seems to flip, which I think is really funny, because the moment he seems to flip... First, I wanted to point out that I thought it was great because it was a very hypocritical moment because just the scene before, he was on the phone getting pissed at Shell for fucking up with their credit card payment and attracting attention to them. (laughs) The very next scene, he attracts a shit ton of attention to himself. Another dinner scene. (laughs) With a dinner scene with the Jesus Freaks. Yeah, yeah. And when he fucking grabs Dolores Ed's guitar... (laughs) 
<laughs> Dude, that was one of my favorite scenes. It's in this good because Gal, so, he's amused by it. Oh, Gal is so amused by it. But after that's all over, that's when Jay's mood changes. It certainly, while does. they're walking down the hallway, he suddenly he cracks a smile for maybe the first time in the movie, <laughs> other than when he was playing with his kid. Yeah, and he seems to genuinely it's enjoy like, in it. like the fact that he's back in it. He's not shuffling around. He's fucking strutting his stuff down the hallway. Which, of course, comes right after his rebuking of God and Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And going down the exact course that the cult has laid before him. It's unbelievable. I, I like that, too. There's a lot of really cool aesthetic things that they do. The way things are getting set up. I think that's a, an interesting thing you wrote up. Because I wrote that down on my notes several times with the anti-religion slant, atheistic slant, per se. Not only with Shell, she kind of reveals it first. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want him saying grace, gal that is. And then Fiona, too, you could sense that she's ignorant. Fiona's is, yeah, but Fiona... We know I why. I don't think it's not just ignorant, though. It's slightly dismissive, especially the second time through, Why she, when she's just like, they're both Christians. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, she, I'm not. she doesn't care about their little Protestant Catholicism thing. She's like, there's just Christianity, it's all the same shit. They're not one of us. And that's what matters. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah, so you know there's already within these characters, there's these views. And Gal seems to be the only one who's holding on to his beliefs. Did you notice the recurring rabbit shit? Couldn't help it. And I was like, fucking cults. Yeah. (laughs) And when it was recurring rabbit shit is when I should have realized that we were going more Wicker Man cult rather than Martyr's cult. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't catch that in enough time. No. Absolutely, because I caught the. I was like, you keep doing this imagery of like you have the rabbits keep popping up, which after the inscribing <laughs> of the rune on the back of the or not the rune, but the, the weird glyph symbol, whatever, the glyph yeah. on the back of the mirror is like, okay, well we're obviously going pagan imagery right now. So what is next? Then I thought it was weird that they had him enter into the contract under a rainbow. That was awesome. Was that just a coincidence? It was. They actually were looking for a different scene to have a rainbow effect, and that just so happened to be there when they were filming, so they used that instead. And but I was thinking, a of, way, of it the, is really. I was thinking the Christian way. use of the the rainbow and the the contract. <laughs> oh yeah. With man yeah, uh, to not destroy the earth again. Too bad. Yeah. And it's as they're going into sign a contract, doing the complete opposite. It's very symbolic. There is a lot of interesting ways that he's probably taking jabs at Christianity in a way. And when I was using that reference, the folk reference, it's not really tied into a particular film per se. It's just that I'm noticing more and more watching British films or films that are in the UK is that they tend to tell tales that are a lot more rooted to the earth and to the land Mm -hmm. because it has so much history that it supersedes a lot of more current beliefs. You know what I mean? So people probably tend to still hold on to certain customs and rituals and paganism and things like that more so than it would be here. And that's the thing. This movie wasn't intended to reference Wicker Man. No, it wasn't. That's just English it's just a coincidence, countryside yeah. paganism. I mean, it's not a coincidence <laughs> per se, but you can't help but notice it because, yeah, I mean, it's another one that's tying the anti... maybe Well, not necessarily anti-Christian, but... You do have these dualities and these different cultural memes and things like that reintroducing themselves into society, you know. And we talked about that a little bit in Trollhunter, too, with 
people in the Scandinavian countries are so tied to the land that when you introduced, it could be any religion, a new religion, it's probably going to get denounced in a sense. So they still hold on to those old world beliefs. Okay, Danny. So here's the important question from this movie, though. <laughs> Would you think that I had a good time if I described my sexual encounter with a lady as, let me put it this way, I had to shave my pubes afterwards? All right. <laughs> Or would you think I got crabs? Oh, you took the words out of my mouth, really. I like one of the first things I would think is, yeah, you probably got crabs. If you didn't get crabs, you probably got something really nasty else on you. It could be doo doo butter. I know that's how I was. I was like, so did she just like shit all over his dick, and he just couldn't stand the thought of knowing that his pubes were covered in that much shit? We learn a little bit later on that he's a cleanly person too. Yeah. So it makes sense that something of that magnitude could have happened for him to clean the slate, so to speak. I still was blown away by that line, <laughs> and that might be the most confounding thing of this movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. The lines that are spoken and the way that they're written, one that I really liked, and I feel like if you're going to do a social commentary, especially where you're from in the Times... It was probably when the doctor gave Jay the line after he notices he's got this fucking weird infection and these bruisings all over his body. That's a little bit why I was asking the question about that cut. If they had like introduced some kind of foreign substance into his system that helps him rage out or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know per se, but... Fucking roid rage. I mean, he had like fucking like these weird pus... And then it never really comes back. No, that's what I'm getting at. It's like how much of that cut influenced that? I mean, we know he's got an infection... But, I mean, the way he was cut, I never really assumed that. I mean... It's just blood like a motherfucker. <laughs> I don't like this interpretation of the movie, but technically there's an interpretation of the movie where almost all of it's in his head thanks to his trauma. Yeah, there's I mean, an, she alludes to that, too, that it's in his head. Wake up. Mm -hmm. There's a, said a lot in this film. an interpretation of this movie where most of the last half is due to infection. He's having a fever dream. Yeah. I don't think they're very strong interpretations. No, but, but I mean, they're plausible, I think they're though. there. Yeah, I mean, you could make the argument for it. Especially with the already jumpy nature of this movie. It's almost uh, like a schizophrenic it, telling, too. And we've already both pointed out how much we like that and how it ties in emotionally to the characters and does feel extremely real. But it does leave a lot in the middle where you don't know for sure exactly what his state of mind is. You're only getting these snippets. Yeah, you are just real quick cuts. And, so I don't yeah. like those interpretations, but technically those interpretations are there because of shit like that horrendous infection. What I find interesting, and this is the really, really fundamental thing about art in general, is that it's very subjective, right? So every one of us can interpret what we see and what we perceive when there are things like this that are open-ended. And I think that's maybe the fun part about filmmaking, too, is... That you leave these things open to your imagination and in a lot of sense that's where the real terror and horror and i mean our minds come up with the craziest <laughs> fill in the blank moments you know we tend to think the worst <laughs> for whatever mm -hmm. reasons but therein lies the mystery is like we're probably reading into it a lot more than really what's necessary but that's the and fun more part than of was it. probably ever thought of yeah There's that's what i'm no getting answers at. for these questions yeah it's because it is open-ended and not that they're not meant to be answered, per se, but we can't help <laughs> putting our own opinions on them, our own personal experiences on it. And that's kind of the fun, too. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, 
you can interpret it all kinds of different ways. And all of them probably have a certain degree of plausibility, <laughs> how much you read into it. All right, so how do you feel about this part? Other than the fact that, thanks to their knowledge of him, we can surmise that they were all at least involved with the cult. Out of the victims on the kill list, the librarian is the only one that we know for sure did anything shady. The worst that they know about the priest is that he smoked a cigarette, by right. what's shown. They think he might be a pedophile. There's but, no but there's evidence no proof at of all. that. Yeah, we don't get any of that. And that's where that expo lies. Is like, we don't know. We just know that they're on the list. The only thing that you can really maybe we concretely... We know they part of the cult because they know who he is. Yes, we definitely know that for sure. So that lets us know that they are part of like this. Maybe it's a death cult, maybe whatever. But their prominence in society, like the priest, the librarian, in a way they are a part of the structure and they're authoritarian figures in these structures. Like they give the orders. Mm -hmm. The librarian tells you to... And you're getting instructions from a priest, etc. And in a maybe a twist of things is that Gal and Jay they both take orders, and they're taking out the people who are giving these orders because of orders. <laughs> so it's like from this, some of the same people. Yeah, it's a weird. They're every man caught in a system where they can't. And that's probably what the allegory metaphor back to like at the time. You know, you're sending British and American soldiers and whomever else into up game. For the powers to be, old money, old hags, all that shit. And they're coming back broken. You're not doing anything to help. You're throwing them back into a system that doesn't care about them and are only hence the cogs and the restructuring or reconstruction, etc. Yeah, I mean that's another thing. It's a really unique metaphor for the times and for what these people going through specifically in Britain and the United Kingdom. Yeah. So some of the horror, like he's already said, is in filling in the blanks by yourself as we are left to do with the librarian's tape. Okay, good. This is the fun bits. <laughs> this is the fun bits. You tried to read the DVD names, didn't you? A little bit. I have them written down. Oh, good. I'm glad you did. No way. At least what I could figure right. out. This is where our personal bias comes into play. Gal's the first one who sees the video. Like yep. They just think it's a wank bend. <laughs> that's what I wrote down. It's like, that's funny. Because you see a bunch of like magazines and then... Oh, yeah, it's, it's the fucking... It's the librarian's jack shack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Damn, it is. It's the Jack Shack, it's the Wake Bend, it's all that good shit. <laughs> but we find out there's something far more sinister, of course. You don't see it, you hear it, right? And so that's where my imagination came to play. Because the first thing for me, and this is what I mean by our imaginations go to these dark places, I was like, man, he's watching child porn. I thought not just child porn, but like a child torture, like torture murder snuff. Yeah, exactly. There were three DVDs sitting on top of the TV set. <laughs> All of them were labeled, but it was really hard to make out some of the handwriting. Oh, I can there's imagine a, why. There, there's only one name that I was able to pick out for sure. <laughs> so these were burned DVDs, presumably part of the same series. <laughs> yeah. Damn, that's fucked up. <laughs> one of them was the only one that I for sure figured out the name, Peaches and Cream. Oh, damn. <laughs> that's real dirty. <laughs> wow. The other one, the first word was for sure preschool. <laughs> the, the second word was really hard to make out. It for sure started with an H. It was quite possibly either preschool honeys, preschool hotness, preschool whores, but spelled insanely wrong. Jesus. <laughs> preschool I, 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 horses, possibly. 
this is where this is part where we have to do some uh <laughs> some heads up it's like i want to say a word but it could be like get me a lot of hot water that's like it could be preschool holds it could be it's like that is so i mean uh. and the other one was the hardest to make out the first word started with a y it looked like it might have about four or five letters afterwards, so I'm guessing possibly young. Yeah. But it was so hard to see Yummy. that. Yeah. <laughs> it started with a Y. And it was two words, and the second word <laughs> looked kind of like lake, looked kind of <laughs> like lane. Huh. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know. Yeah, it could be young lane. Yeah, young lake. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know why my mind went there because there's nothing really when you see the wink bin, the jack shack, it doesn't really spell out child porn. But I think it's just their reaction to it. I wasn't completely sold on it until Jay's reaction. Oh because yeah, Jay's the father. Yeah, and he's already alluded to the fact that he would do this for free, even as a parent. Like kill pedophiles is what mm-hmm. he's alluding to. Yeah, so that's what I probably think they're planting that seed. Like, this is probably a child pornography ring. And this guy, he's a librarian because he keeps the catalogs of all of them. He's even got a dossier, we find out. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think happens if Jay doesn't go off list? Good point. I did think about that in the film. I was like, that's where it deviates. Like, he's on this narrow path. He's just doing the list until he finds out, like, oh, this is rooted in something more sinister. In a weird and way, he's trying to be moral. But his actions are leading him down this fucking deep, dark path that are unleashing other things in him and it's playing right into the hands, I would imagine. Because there is a moment, and this second time through made me think of what you said, is that they've been tailed, they've been watched, and we learn that too later on. Because as Gal is waiting in the car for Jay while he's going off list, there's a car that pulls up behind him and it stays there a little bit longer... <laughs> than usual but that's what i was thinking is that that car wasn't there just by accident or coincidence it's like paying attention to the finer details is you know somebody's watching it and probably seeing how it's playing out in their favor if this is really what he's doing yeah so i feel like i guess getting back to your original question had he not gone off the list he probably would have just finished the jobs and collected the money and then whatever things would be patched up so to speak So with his clients referring to everything as a reconstruction and the fact that we know that they're knocking off cult members, I think it's kind of easy to surmise that at least part of what we saw was a coup within the cult. I don't think that's the entire story Mm. because I don't think that really explains the ritual that they put Jay through in the end. But if that is the case, do you think the clients intended for Jay to go off list? to get rid of the undesirables in the cult. Hmm. That's a good point. Do you think that they're actually trying to make the cult for the better, so to speak? I can see that, yeah, because there's like, maybe there's factions within or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like these people are going off script as well. But while you were saying that stuff too, it made me think like how much more you can interpret it too because of that saying that doctor said to Jay was, he tells him, you know, forget the past. He says, the future is not yet here. You can only live pretty much in the moment. This is the only time that you can live in. What I saw that, too, like how you can interpret the death of Shell and his son Sam, is that his son is the future, took that away. His wife is tied to his past. So was Gal, took that away. Mm -hmm. So he's stuck in the present. 
So for the cult, in a weird way, he could be like the perfect weapon for them. Like he's disassociated. They broke him as far as you can break a person. <laughs> he's got nothing left. And he appears to be emotionless, like in this weird, who knows what kind of headspace at that point, mm -hmm. you know, his reality. So yeah, you can look at it in a lot of fucked up ways is what I'm getting at. But man, that's, I mean, these are heavy loaded questions. Like what if the cult didn't have as much influence on the way he was swaying because they knew he was capable of that shit. Mm -hmm. But they chose the perfect targets that led to this unraveling. I kind of feel like the librarian deserved to die anyway just because he had an art triptych of clowns <laughs> in his kitchen that was just so fucking tacky. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, I noticed that in the background the second time through. I was looking to see if there was like cult clues <laughs> I didn't see any no, cult clowns. Really. No, you're right. Uh, but I saw some really shitty clowns. Yeah. <laughs> as much as we're talking about the film, maybe a little bit outside of the film, even though it's, of course it is a part of the film, is I do want to mention the use of the color schemes in this. He uses a lot of really like calm, cool colors, but those blues. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, there were so many scenes where he was using oh, blue. Yeah, I absolutely noticed this film. That's the one thing when. And this is a weird distinction to make between genres, but part of the press around this movie involves how it's a bit of a cross-genre piece, being kind of a thriller, crime... Yeah, I've seen like neo-noir-ish. Horror. Yeah. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, I associate thriller movies with being a lot more warm-toned than this movie was. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's actually the truth. Huh. But in my head, yeah. I associate straight thrillers with not having this cool of a color palette. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. That It's a unique blend in this film. Because you're right. I mean, with the scenarios and the way that these things are unraveling, and you would feel like, yeah, there's probably warmer tones, darker tones that they would use, the hues. But that's a, also a part of the filmmaking process that Wheatley used. He said he didn't want to use, like, you know, a bunch of lighting and shit. He wanted everything to feel organic. So that's probably why we got that, too. And I think maybe some of the suburban settings, you get more of those hues, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it would make sense as well. That was one of the best uses of Hammer I've seen since Old Boy. <laughs> oh, God. That was dope. I was like, all right, it went there. It went there. Like, fucked his hand up. Fucked also, his skull um, up. Wheatley, I love the fucking psychological shit you did and how you made us care for these kind of asshole characters. But if you want to do more gore, go for it. It was good. Go I mean, just it. a little bit. Oh, it was effective. God, that was really good. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't anticipating the hand getting mangled like that. Nope. And I was not expecting the skull bashing, but I was not disappointed. I liked it. <laughs> I was like, damn, that was good. That was the moment where you, like, as a moviegoer, it's either going to please you or you're going to get, like, probably, like, a little bit disgusted. And doing it that in your face is what I feel kind of separates this movie from being a mainstream movie as well. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, because you get that a cutaway. mainstream movies don't occasionally get nasty. Graphic, yeah, too, yeah. Because I think we would both consider, like, the first Saw to be mainstream. Maybe oh, yeah. even the first Hostel to be kind of mainstream. It certainly was. And those both get far more... Well, maybe not the first Saw. But Hostel, first Hostel definitely gets at least as graphic as that. Oh, yeah. But, ooh, it's just full-on, doesn't cut away. It is. They, it's, it's a so, very so raw, in-your-face, visceral way of doing it that I feel like that sort of tone 
is what sets this in its own category that yeah. where you don't get a lot of film goers that normally see this shit. 100% <clears throat> agree with you there. And I like that too because it makes you feel a certain way when you see that shit, you know, even as somebody who likes gore and bits of violence and things like that. Like seeing that the first time, like, ooh, it still kind of puts a little bit of a knot in your stomach when you see something that brutal. You're like, oh, god damn. <laughs> I was like, I liked it, but ooh, that's a ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to chew. I do have to say, with how pissed Jay was getting, and I know that they had already tortured him for a while, <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. kind of thought that that was a quick way of him doing the librarian in for how pissed and unsettled he seemed. But, yeah, I mean, pissed goes for quick, but yeah. he seemed unsettled by it all and just in a more revenge pain-oriented mindset rather than yeah i mean they both know gal and jay know what this guy's about the ticking time bomb for sure is the guy thanking him and you know hinting at the fact that gal doesn't know something it's just, i'm thankful that i got to meet you bro <laughs> do what you gotta do with that hammer so yeah i think that's like so one of those ticking time bomb moments where he was already on the edge and he was looking to unleash the beast i <laughs> guy gave him every reason so there's the running away in the tunnels and all the shit at home, and I didn't really take notes about any of that because I was yeah. all pretty straightforward. Because you already talked about mm-hmm. that, Wheatley said that a lot of this happened in his dreams. Like he based some of this off his nightmares and growing up in the countryside. I think where it gets interesting again is that very last bit. I ended up writing two main questions. I think I kind of have something else to say about all of that too. It's still coming together. I don't know if it's going to finish coming together, <laughs> thanks to the Sour Diesel. I know, dude. We all in our thoughts right now. <laughs> what does the cult do if Wheatley would have just finished the hunchback with a quick throat slash? Oh, wow, yeah. And so the hump was still alive. <laughs> I think in a fucked up way, they would still have some kind of weird battle scenario. <laughs> I don't know. The kid would still probably get sacrificed, unfortunately. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. <laughs> By the end, is the wife complicit? In the cult? Yes. All right, that's another one of those things. Like, you can read it in a couple different ways. In one way, in one regard, I could say maybe is because there is this moment of doubt that I had in this film because of the dialogue the second time through. That was like, oh. And I mean, by the end. I feel like she might not be complicit in the beginning of the movie. No, I know, for sure. But this is where I felt like maybe she could have been at this point. Is Jay comes back home. Sam's away. Fiona's there. This is after he waves at her in the hotel scene. And Fiona says that they've been having wine and moans. And I was like, oh, so they were. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, I felt like maybe she was even asking Jay if he wanted to join them. And he's like, I got to get my bits and bobs. <laughs> it's like, that's what she's talking about too, bro. <laughs> but the point I'm getting at is because we know that Fiona's in the cult, that she's influencing Shell. And it gets played out maybe later. There's I hear there's like theories about people who feel like, how did she get captured when she was capping people off in that cottage? Maybe Fiona came in, influenced her in some way, got them, She was cetera. only really capping people off in the cottage while Jay was around, though. When he says goodbye that and too. kisses her and leaves her with a gun... Yeah, yeah. That's the last we see of her until the end. We don't get to see her put up a last stand. No, that's what I'm getting at. For all we know is once he's gone, she's like, cool, I played my part. That's kind of what I mean, too. Maybe she was complicit to a point, 
you know, Fiona came in, she could have been like, all right, we got him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there's these moments of doubt and how much influence Fiona has over her. Maybe this was a part of a greater scheme to begin with before we even got introduced to them in the first place. Like this has been built up for a long time. Okay, follow-up question. Did Shell have to shave her pubes? Shell have to shave her pubes. <laughs> oh, well, there's allusions or alluded to the fact that there's this tryst of a love triangle. There seems to be some kind of thing between Gal and Shell. Just saying, just throwing that out there. It's not just Jay's friend. She made that well known. Yeah. Yeah, Fiona seemed to have power over Gal, so I buy that Fiona had power over Shell. I think by the end of the she's movie, Shell's him. complicit. Yeah, I mean, she's giving gifts to Sam, too. So, I mean, she's influencing them outside of what we see on camera. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the cult was all about that was enough to convince Shell to be in on it. I wonder if Shell and the kid being the target is <laughs> possibly the answer for kind of his punishment for going off list if it wasn't part of like a power grab yeah, or something I know. I, I know there's so much things you can look at um, all of which was never thought about i know that's what i'm getting at. like wheatley i would imagine like motherfuckers <laughs> I, yeah, like of course this is just hypothetical this is my own opinion but i can imagine probably as a director writer etc when you have these moments of people like yeah this is not really my intention <laughs> But it just it shows you like the depth that this film has, right? I feel like this is throughout the year we've done we've we've done some really good fucking films. I feel like this is a really intelligent film. Like the way it's been crafted, even the use of the music in this ratchets up like some of the tension mm-hmm. and drama and that's what I'm getting at. It's like when you have these kind of films. Some of the weird chanting in the soundtrack. Yeah, and... there's just so much that goes into it and you can read so much different things. That's what I like about this film in general. I mean, that's kind of what I'm wanting to say. I will reiterate once again, though. I do feel like there's so many holes in this movie that if it wasn't for the superbness of the acting... Oh, man. You you can't stress that enough. ...that this movie wouldn't work as well. 100% agree. I think everybody... I do think that even with worse acting, you might be able to make this work as a short yeah, I could definitely but see this But maybe as a not short. the full length that it currently is. Yeah, I highly concur with that. Yeah, you I mean you're right. You could uh, not that we're ever like not that anybody's gonna remake this movie with yeah. shitty acting just to see what works or not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, you could totally do it. I mean, it's there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a good blend of different genres. It's a really interesting way that it was edited because of these open-ended things that you can read into, and um, it's just really well crafted all together. You know what I wouldn't mind saying? Not in a way like to put this movie down or I want to see it done better. Yeah. But I think it would be fun after seeing a different reimagining this year to see Luca Guadagnino's <laughs> kill list. <laughs> oh, how art housey again. <laughs> how art housey yet oh. filled in all the take <laughs> the skeleton and fill in the blanks. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> all right. There is one scene I really, 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 really enjoyed. And this is Probably the most fucked up scene, I think, in my opinion, outside of the fact that Shell and fucking Sam get stabbed to death, <laughs> is actually when Jay is in that compound and he's smashing dude's head. You can oh, hear the thumping yeah. as Gal's walking through the compound. And then when you finally see the dude's face, you're like, oh, God damn. But he still has the twitches. He's still alive. <laughs> and then he caps him. <laughs> you're like, this motherfucker here. 
Oh no, for me it's all about the peaches and cream. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's some really cool things. And that, once again, leads into social commentary. Like, this is going to sound fucked up, but it's true. You can't help but notice, typically with people in power and wealth, that they get into some fucking freaky dark shit, pedophilia being one of them. It's not just a coincidence or conspiracy theory, I mean. Mm -hmm. He's putting that in this film, too, because there is a power structure at play. There's this money. There's a lot of wealth. There's a lot of depraved things going on, not just from the higher-ups, but just a common person, too, like... That's what I mean. There's a morality tell as well. It's like you might feel like you're doing these honorable things, but in reality, you're doing disgusting shit. And that's what I mean, dude. It's like there's a lot to chew on this film that you can read into. Actually, I mean, it's really funny how much this tale paralleled. Just earlier this weekend, one of the things I did is uh, rewatched The Watchmen oh, Ultimate nice. Cut, which includes Tales from the Black Freighter. Now, of course, I've read The Watchmen as well before, but it's been a while, and it's been a while since I watched it as well. And I never had went through the entire animated Tales of the Black Freighter. The Tales from Black Freighter segment kind of parallels Ozymandias in The Watchmen, but is the more obvious short story version that also parallels this movie. And it's all about a captain who has a run-in with some dreadful violence that leaves him alone. In this case, with Kill List, feeling alone. Yeah, yeah, isolation. You're right. Isolation. And he's afraid of what that will do when it's visited upon his family and does some horrendous shit to get back to his family to save them. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Only to accidentally kill his wife upon his return <laughs> and be welcomed into the ranks of the evilness that he was afraid of in the first place. Right. In a, uh, yeah. Does that sound familiar? Like... Yeah, I was gonna, uh, in your opinion, right? In your opinion, would you consider this film a tragic comedy? Yeah, kind of. I mean, you have I, the, an anti-hero. Honestly, the, but... More than anything, this movie reminds me of like if you did Wicker Man without singing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. ultimately, the cult controls so much of what we see in this movie exactly. that it's almost the same fucking thing. Yeah, I mean, even though that's not his intention, you can't help but draw parallels because it is so rooted in English tradition and just, you know, how much history is there. We talked about this. Not that that's a bad thing. Jesus Christ, no. I still say... That's that's why I really like these style of films. I'm going to say, don't just watch this movie, watch this movie twice. Yes, at least twice. You will enjoy it more. I feel like every bad review I've seen in this movie is someone who only watched the movie once. Yeah, I would think that upon first watch, like you said, especially with certain hype around films too... I think you probably read more into it initially or like you have anticipation and that's kind of where I'm at now where like I don't like to read too much about new films I want to watch them I don't mind opinions like it's nice to have varying opinions but I want to draw my own conclusions mm-hmm. you know and because of what we do you tend to be a little bit more critical you know at least you have a, a deeper lens on the film but this one definitely guarantees or at least warrants a second view I, I would agree with that there's just so much you can read into it, you know? Now we've been nerding. I don't know. I super dig it. So I, I don't have much else to say about it. <laughs> no, I highly recommend it. Give it a second view if you didn't really like it the first time. And if you don't like it the second time, fine. Fine, Fair. whatever. Yeah. It's whatever. still only like an hour and a half movie. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, you don't have to watch it back to back, but, you know, give it time to digest, then rewatch it. 
Jesus, I watched so many hours of movie yesterday because I watched nice. the fucking Watchmen Ultimate Cut and then this followed right after. Yeah, dude. <laughs> you, that Watchmen yeah. Ultimate Cut's three and a half hours long. That's a long fucking movie. Yeah, yeah that's like Redux. <laughs> and then I watched this movie and it was almost the same story. <laughs> Kill list. Just like the Watchmen. Wow. <laughs> well, I was saying that I watched a little bit of Field in England. Mm-hmm. I feel like knowing... The way that he directs and his storytelling and, you know, knowing his ties of how close it's rooted in English history and, you know, what have you. I'm looking forward to watching that one. I'll tell you what, Wheatley definitely has piqued my interest. Likewise. I am going to get my ass around to watching High Rise soon. Nice. I was kind of interested in it when it was in production, just because I'm a fan of Tom Hiddleston. I've never read the book, but I've only heard good things about the book, and I've heard Mixed reviews, but it's the same kind of mixed reviews that I've seen about this. I don't think it's nearly as not filled in of a story, since it's based on somebody else's work, but I really want to see what he did with it. Yeah, likewise. It's always unique to see how, in this case, he didn't write it, so (laughs) how he interprets it. Yeah, be cool. But yeah, highly recommend this film. Glad we got to finally watch it. Like I said, it's been on our list, coincidentally enough, for a while, so we can finally check it off. Man... Not only should we make a list, but we should probably check it twice, because next week we got our Christmas episode coming up. Yeah, our holiday episode. And that's going to be our episode 99 as well. 99 problems. (laughs) And then, as we mentioned before, we're going to be off for two weeks. Yeah, keep that in mind. For sure. As we go through the holiday season, it just... The holidays are on the exact wrong days for us to try recording this year. So, yeah, because there's going to be travel and, you know, all celebration and all that stuff. Celebration, just like events. family, all of that good stuff. So we're going to be enjoying that and unfortunately unable to bring anything to you guys for a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll try to post shit on the Insta. Yeah, we'll still keep or, you guys up to date. But... I mean, if I watch a horror movie in those two weeks downtime, you guys will hear about it because oh, I'll yeah. post something on the Insta. Nice. I'll do that to try to make up for <laughs> it because I do feel bad being down for two weeks. But then we'll come back with our episode 100. We Ooh. keep hoping that this idea that we have is going to work out. It's always tough when you have to get multiple people together, but we're still working on it. We are. It's going to be exciting. And next week for Christmas, we're doing... Black Christmas. Black Christmas. 1974's Black Christmas. We're not going to fuck around with Inside and do a pseudo-Christmas movie. We're not going to go to Bill Goldberg and do Santa's sleigh. (laughs) We're going to go old school. We are. Black Christmas. I'm pretty excited. I've never actually seen it. I have. I've seen the remake as well. We'll talk about that later. But it has been another one I haven't seen in a long time. It's been a long time. But I'm really excited to finally get the chance to like Hell get around yeah. and watch it. So that's going to be next week. In order to listen in next week, please hit subscribe however you're currently listening. If you don't like how you're currently listening and you usually listen to something else, your podcast somewhere else, then search for us there. Fried Squirms. We're probably there. If we're not, we're getting there soon. In the meantime, you can always head over to our website, www.friedsworms.com. There's links to listen to us on other platforms up at the top, the latest episodes streaming down at the bottom, links to our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter throughout the middle. Search Fried Squirms on any of those things. You should be able to find us. You can always contact us through the website or hit us up, squirmcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. Especially if you were the one that told us to fucking check out Ben Wheatley. I swear to God, one of you assholes told us. Yeah, even like I said, even if you didn't, 
tell us you did and then give us some more recommendations because it is fun it's fun to watch films that we've had on our list and maybe some that we don't even really know about so keep them coming but yeah i enjoyed this episode i'm looking forward to next week and then our little break and then 2019 dude yeah i'm so excited actually i think we have episode 101 planned too which i'm super looking forward to that (laughs) god damn i know i'm looking at everything 2019 is gonna be great this is super i love you all Fried squirms, out.